0: Hey everybody, it's Friday, January the 19th, 2024, and welcome to How to Restart a Church, um, a weekly spinoff show where I, Pastor Trent Comstock, and my friend and colleague, pastor Emily Larson explore what it means to make church happen or make it start happening again this week in honor of Martin Luther King Day uh, which we uh, s- celebrated nationally on Monday which I celebrate nationally by being frozen in my house um, I am still being frozen but now in a studio without heat um, For the audio listeners, I am wearing an overcoat and a scarf um, and a sweater, and I have a space heater to stage right, Um, and it's like zero degrees where Emily is. It's great, Um, but in honor of MLK Day, uh, we decided to let MLK... Guide us for this discussion, um, and em- here in a moment Emily's going to read uh, for us two selections uh, from letter uh, from a Birmingham jail uh, which directly addresses white pastors um, and what you know kind of what how white pastors can be involved in racial justice um, and have not always been. The world probably does not need more white people reading MLK's words, uh, but also we want an MLK to speak for himself in the same way that, you know, Emily and I are both white. Um, and But this is MLK in some ways talking across generations directly to pastors just like us. Um, and so uh, without further ado, uh, take it away, Emily, with uh, two selections from Letter from a Birmingham Jail.
1: In his own words, Martin Luther King Jr. says, I must make two honest confessions to you, my Christian and Jewish brothers. First, I must confess that over the last few years, I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in the stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice. Who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace. Which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I can't agree with your methods of direct action. Who paternalistically feels that he can set the timetable for another man's freedom. Who lives by the myth of time. And who constantly advises the Negro to wait until a, quote, more convenient season, end quote. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. He continues on to say, In spite of my shattered dreams of the past, I came to Birmingham with the hope of the white religious leadership of this community would see the justice of our cause and with deep moral concern serve as the channel through which our just grievances could get to the power structure. I had hoped that each of you would understand, but again, I have been disappointed. I have heard numerous religious leaders of the South call upon their worshipers to comply with a desegregation decision because it is the law. But I have longed to hear white ministers say, follow this decree because integration is morally right and the Negro is your brother. In the midst of blatant injustices inflicted upon the Negro, I have watched white churches stand on the sidelines and merely mouth pious irrelevancies and sanctimonious trivialities. In the midst of mighty struggle to rid our nation of racial and economic injustice, I have heard so many ministers say, those are social issues which the gospel has nothing to do with. And I have watched so many churches commit themselves to a completely otherworldly religion which made a strange distinction between bodies and souls, the sacred and the secular.
0: Yeah. That Mm -hmm. that is. I mean, it's scorching. I mean, it it is and it, and it should be because for a couple of things one this document is 51 years old right it's written in 1963 and it is like 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 many great letters of theology it's written for a specific historical moment um he has come he and the SCLC crew have come to Birmingham which was uh, at that time had it just kind of it, you know, again, we're now nine years post Brown v. Board, um, nine years post the beginning of desegregation, still an extreme level of segregation. Um, Mm -hmm. The local activists in Birmingham had been promised that a lot of, like, uh, signs about segregation would be taken down, and they weren't. And so MLK um, and his team show up um, to aid the efforts of um, Birmingham, um, this being um, the South at the time, uh, a judge puts forth an injunction that says no more gathering, no protests, no whatever, uh, you know, basically utterly restricting freedoms of speech and assembly, right. uh, you know, MLK. Oh, the
1: nonviolent uh, kind, yes.
0: And again, you know, again, he is a student of of Gandhi. Um, anyways, it's um, nonviolent, uh, and so they get arrested for continuing the, demonst- the nonviolent demonstrations. This is how he lands himself in a Birmingham jail. He is also responding to a specific letter, um, a, a, a call for unity um, that a whole bunch of uh, white pastors put out. Um, in response to them not liking their tactics. And it was uh, has a lot of the pieces that he's talking about, like, um, oh, you, this isn't the right time. And why are right. you so upset? And what if, can't we just be nice and negotiate about this? And, and earlier in the letter, he says, well, you can't, the only way we've gotten anyone to ever negotiate with us is by applying the pressure of direct action. I, essentially right. saying, yeah, I too wish it didn't take direct action to get y'all to do anything, but that seems to be the only thing you listen to. and. So so we are taking direct action for that reason yes. but it gets the paragraphs that we selected look at the broader like when he's talking directly to those white though he is talking directly to those white pastors about this moment this specific moment in history 51 years ago or 61 years ago i can't do math um and yet also like many great theological letters, there is this broader thing that we should resonate with, too, that often, particularly as regards racial justice, also as particularly regards any number of set of deep concerns in our world, uh, we can be a, uh, otherworldly religion there it is otherworldly religion which was made a strange distinction between body and soul the sacred and the secular that there Mm -hmm. are things we talk about in church and things we don't want to talk about in church because it scares visitors or creates division or oh that's you know that's politics I get that we don't support specific candidates but there's it doesn't mean you leave the world out so like there's that part there is the part where I have heard I have said, can we not deal with this now? We've got all these other things to deal with. Let's deal with that later. And when it's these questions of great human right concern, like the racial justice that he's specifically speaking about, yeah, maybe not. Also, the world might have noticed that we do this and that's part of our problem.
1: Right, that we say one thing and then do another. I know, so one of the things that gets to me in this letter every time I read it is that, you know, they told him, why are you in such a religious hurry? We know that yeah. there will be equal rights, you know, someday. There will be full integration someday. Why are you in such a hurry to make this happen? And to because when it comes to social justice issues, we should all be in a hurry. We should all be doing those direct action things as mlk did you know setting forth that example putting on the pressure where we need to um and not afraid to take a stand when it is necessary
0: but also they like he's right in that they don't just happen right they don't just happen progress doesn't just get made i think right. i've talked about it this on this show before but like one of the i i took this when i was when i was in england i took this bible study from this like biblical professor guy and uh, it was like we're just sitting and like having tea and talking about scripture it was not exactly the most formal thing in the world but he talked about the opening of the gospel of luke and again my he my hebrew my greek in hebrew are both terrible but this guy was like a biblical scholar and he pointed out about the opening of the gospel of luke is it doesn't actually say Dear philosophers, these are the things that happened. These were the things that were made to happen, right? That,
1: yes,
0: yes, it is God at work in the world, but kind of connecting back to when we talked about, you know, Samuel and Eli um, Mm -hmm. uh, earlier, I guess, for y'all listening to this earlier in the week, for Emily and I, a few hours ago, (laughs) like... It is the spirit of God moving in people, right? And so, no, like, progress doesn't just get made passively. It's easy to, like, look back at progress made and go, well, that, oh, obviously that should have happened. And we're far enough from MLK's time that we could fall into that trap about the work that they did. Well, no, I mean, of course they weren't going to keep the water fountains segregated. You don't know that. Like, like I get that that sounds asinine to our ears now, 61 years later. But that happened because they, God moved in, you know, from, he's a theologian, right? He would, this is not, you know, over-theologizing his work, that God moved in them, and they did that, but they helped, they were a part of how God made that happen.
1: Yes. Seeking that justice in the world took action, that there are hills worth dying on. You know, I think we forget sometimes that there are lines in the sand and that inaction is a choice, right? You have said before that inaction is a choice. Um, Choosing not to take a stand is also Is taking,
0: is also taking a stand.
1: Is also taking a stand.
0: So I had to, I had to read, I think, actually I had to read this specific letter in uh, one of my classes in seminary and it was comparing the, the, the point of it was comparing the hippies of... Uh, so, so this is happening at the same time as hippies and free love, right? So this is a few years right. before, but like the civil rights movement and the, you know, hippie moment are essentially historically contiguous, right? They, they're happening simultaneously. And it was like, why did MLK and his crew get civil rights pushed through? And why are we not living in an era of peace, love, dope? Or specifically, (laughs) you know, why did the Vietnam War end on its own and not end because of the anti-war movement? And the argument that was being made in this class, and it's one that's resonated with me, is that MLK was willing to go into a Birmingham jail. That they put their bodies on the line, right? That, that our history is forever etched by the image of John Lewis getting smashed on the bridge, right? right. Um, that they they really lived it. They really put their bodies on the line. They Their goal wasn't to drop out. The goal was to push through. And because they took that bodily risk, it gave testimony this is the classic logic of martyrs right like it gave testimony to the reality of their gospel right
1: this is Dietrich Bonhoeffer this is all of our favorite theologians right they put their who are all all in in
0: conversation who are all in conversation with each other right um if I'm not mistaken isn't MLK's doctorate on BART right like it is this whole like (laughs) turns out he had Bonhoeffer is only 20 years, less than 20 years previous to this, right? Bonhoeffer's right. killed by the Germans in 45. This is 63. You know, MLK mm-hmm. would have been, you know, um MLK only lived into his 40s. Um right. MLK would have been in anyways, yes, he's a. we we know that yes. MLK is aware of Bonhoeffer, right? They all talk right. to each other.
1: Well, but I I just I think of it when I see. People make the argument of, well, of course, you know, we believe in inclusion or we believe in, you know, this social justice or another, um, you know, the next generation will take care of that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's the other argument you hear is the next generation is going to take care of that. Why do we need to? Well, because it should be done now. We should be in that religious hurry that, you know, MLJ Yeah. announced for. It. That, right.
0: that it deeply matters. And, and he is, again, in in... The tremendous, with tremendous wisdom, notes that the world is watching and, you know, as I said in the setup to this conversation, right, the world has taken notice that we have all of these beautiful words and then don't match them with action, right? right. We can talk about loving our neighbors all day long. It's a beautiful theology, but... What people look to is, and it's, this doesn't mean we should start performing goodness. It means that right. back to, you know, the never-ending theme is how do you restart a church? Is by being it. um right. Maybe is,
1: be the church that you say you are.
0: <laughs> because you know, we certainly we in the United Methodist Church continue to trip over a, of being an inclusive and loving place in a lot of those ways also Mm -hmm. specifically around racial justice specifically around speaking to the you know questions of civil rights and human rights we can get really good at talking in vague terms and then really scared of talking in specifics because then that gets you know the 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 specter of politics and the specter of making people angry and the specter of all of these things right like he like he captures something about this list of dudes that writes to him and 60 years later, we can still see these strains in the church. Yes.
1: And we can still be challenged by this letter as church leaders. Um, I don't know if I ever told you. So there was one Sunday in particular, we try very hard not to pull, you know, specific politics into the pulpit just because it's, you know, tricky and East Texas, I was in a tiny East Texas church. Um, and I remember one Sunday in particular, I was being vague on purpose, but very much um, speaking for the side of social justice as it was preached in the scripture of the lectionary that week. And um, I had two people come up to me after the service, one and the other on each end of the spectrum, Uh (laughs) one was very much on this side of politics and one was very much on that side of politics. But they each came up to me, I don't know if this is good or bad, um, and said, oh, I really appreciated what you said. So I don't know if that was a... um, it brought them more to the middle, to a place where they could have a conversation, or if it was, I totally missed the mark and didn't say anything of value to them that day. But either way, um, it, it is difficult when you are in a pulpit to yeah. make sure that you are on the side of social justice, um, because you are going to tick people off sometimes, and you're going to make them angry, and you're going to take a stand. And you know, sometimes we should, um, I, not so in support a specific candidate or political party, but on the side of social justice,
0: I I think of, I think about this a lot, like a lot, and I I think about this as there's the spectrum of uh, activism to cowardice, right? And the reality of ministry is this should burn you up, and you should, or certainly I do. Um, I have this feeling with a lot of of that generation of theologians, Bonhoeffer included, um, of like, yeah, no, in principle they're absolutely right, and I also know that I fall short of that, and I also know that people need to listen to us, to right. all right, like you need to be heard to make progress, and so right. there is this like. And and I I may be, this comes from experience, not from theory, but like, there is this like very, narrow is the way, right? Narrow is the way that is speaking into the very real problems of the world, right? So living up to the challenge, you know, set to us here by MLK. Um, but
1: also and, not being run out of town. But with not being run out of town with
0: pitchforks over everything. Right. Maybe sometimes, maybe sometimes you should get run out of town. And yeah. you are saying, "Well, I'm going to say this in a way that doesn't get me run out of town." Not because that's how you make progress, but because you're a coward, um, or because I, you know I'll say this of myself because yeah. I'm a coward, right? Um, there, the, the, to me, in my experience particularly of being a pastor in rural areas, being a pastor in um, areas far more conservative than I am, uh, being a pastor in a world uh, full of, uh, of injustice and racism, um, that certainly I suspect that there have been times where I should have taken more action than I did. And I justified it by saying, yes, but I need these people to listen to me. And if I say things, if I push too hard in an overt way, I'm going to get run out of town with a pitchfork. And sometimes when I've said that, it was true that the way to make incremental, disgusting and disgustingly slow incremental progress, but still progress nonetheless, is to maintain a relationship with the people, with the congregation. And then you make progress, you make progress, but not quickly enough, but you make progress. But that is, you know, I I don't have a particularly articulate way to, other than how I think about it in my head. It is the the walking the narrow way between activism and getting run Mm -hmm. out of town and cowardice. That is not do anything
1: Or Um, or or put, Put in Birmingham jail, right? Yeah, or getting
0: yeah, getting yeah, you know, literally or getting, getting arrested, and getting arrested, and yeah. I think about you know, I again, I I am not making that statement going, and I am the expert on it, and I have always done this right. No, I suspect there are many times where I have chosen more cowardice than I should have, because I am a coward, and not because. Because in the end, you know, this is what you do for a living. And when you are a pastor in a small town, right, there's no avoiding them. Um, And like, this is like the house you have, you know, at that time I lived in Parsonage's, the house you have is like, there's all these like, you know, institutional guides towards cowardice, but that doesn't change the fact that it is cowardice.
1: Yeah, same.
0: But on the other side. Getting blown up over everything, you lose your ability to make any progress at all. Right? You just right. spend your life getting run out of town, and then you've then been you run have, out of town.
1: You have no relationship capital to build on for the progress that you want to make. Because part of that progress is relationship, right? Is built because of relationship, is built because of the conversations you can have that you wouldn't have had otherwise. So yeah, so where is the line between building that relationship and and cowardice? I I suspected
0: I I suspect it is one of those tensions that we live in, and that mm-hmm. and or at least the way I think about it is perpetually it's the tension that I live in, of I can stay in the game, and so you know we are uh working on uh doing a better job of. Um, integrating this church it, it, we have you know for us it is you know we have this you know you know immigrant side of our congregation and we have this um, you know English speaking side of our congregation and how do we navigate that so it feels like one church and so like I can be in I can stay in the game to do that work to be a part of doing that kind mm-hmm. of work um and so but it is still that tension of there are probably things I let slide that I shouldn't, and I know kind of looking backwards at moments where there are probably times where we should have said more, right? I, you know, I think about, you know, I've been a pastor in, you know, in the entire, I became a pastor essentially just as Black Lives Matter becomes a thing, um, and so I, you know, I think about what I said. Um, from a pulpit in a you know small rural Georgia town um, after uh, the the murder of Michael Brown. Um, I think about you know what we talk you know what we did in 2020 um, at grace um, in response uh, to uh, to that and and we tried to do something, but I suspect we, didn't do enough i also suspect we did more than most churches in palestine texas but i'm not sure right. that's a i'm not sure that's a justification
1: it's probably not a good measurement to go off of but yeah right but, but yeah. you
0: know what we did is um you know we developed that church we developed a policy of do don't say <laughs> right, yeah. which is, which, which was our way of navigating the cowardice of the cowardice activism parallel of like, yeah. okay, so this huge thing had happened, and so the Sunday after, um, I we we, we had a, a, a African American late Sister Brandy Dudley uh, who's been on the show, friend of the show, Sister Brandy Dudley, um, <laughs> who African American, um. And uh, I invited her, usually I did the pastoral prayer, it's called the pastoral prayer for a reason. Um, I invited her forward to do the pastoral prayer. Um, I uh, stayed on stage, took a step back, handed brain in the mic and just without, you know. Um, I also suspect I didn't tell her I was gonna do that. Anyway, this is a very me way of handling this. Uh, I reached the conclusion in the moment. Um, and that was a way of, and then shoot, you know, she, and 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 brought the you know brought the conversation you know brought the kind of national conversation of black about Black Lives Matter into this you know church in Palestine, Texas. I also suspect yeah. that is profoundly not enough, yeah. right? That like this is not as we think about and you know we we brought this in to talk about. If we're going to build a church, if we're going to rebuild a church, if we're going to restart a church, if we're going to be who we're supposed to be, these words should blow us up. And frankly, yes. I bring this up because these words blow me up, right? Like of all right. the the ways that both, I, th- I always want to avoid the dog whistle politics because then people stop listening, but then we're st- like, that becomes an easy excuse to do nothing.
1: Right, right. This can and should still convict us 60 years later to do more and to be who we say we are as the church, capital C Church, as the body of believers.
0: Right. And it is in one of the preaching classes that I took um, in uh, in seminary, we talked about like, what is it? What is what does it mean? to be prophetic like what does it mean to be prophetic and effective Mm -hmm. and the and the the kind of flippant answer was the most prophetic pastor this is what the my professor said this most the most prophetic pastors i know are the people who have the deep relationships and so they can say anything yes and 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 this is this is how I build the kind of basis by which I build the activist cowardice uh, line, but <laughs> this is, we both need to be in relationship with people, not, not because of their ideological purity, but because we're all on a journey. We need to, this was a, a challenge to legitimately love people, yes. and also say the things that they need to hear so that they will change.
1: Right. But to, to speak truth in love to people, as we are called to do, you have to have that love. You have to have that relationship. You have to have that relationship capital to do so. Um, so yeah, I see, I see the tension that we live in. I see, I see where you're going with this Trey. I, well, I appreciate the struggle that, well, that it we is. live in.
0: <laughs> it, it, and so I think of William D. Campbell, another guy, same time. Uh, he's a white dude, um, white pastor, but not one that stayed in the sign lines. Actually, one that jumped into the thick of it, um, did his share of getting arrested, trying. Got dude from the south. Um, he's the guy who has my favorite summation of the gospel: um, "We're all bleeps, and God loves us anyways." That is also yep. William D. Campbell. But so William D. Campbell spends the latter part of his career being a chaplain to Klan members. Because he's a white guy. White guy with deep civil rights credentials. Um, traveled the South working on issues of in, integration. Um, mm-hmm. Like again, like he, he is not one of those guys that MLK is writing about. Uh, he is one of the few um, who was not particularly disappointing. But he took a lot of heat for becoming a chaplain to Klansmen. And the, the point he made about it is I can talk to them. Yes. I can talk to them. They are also deserving of God's love. Right. But I can talk to them and I can influence them in another direction. And a lot of people got really upset and, and I understand it, but I also, you know, having been a pastor in the rural South a lot, you know, if, if we, and maybe we should have, right, you know, in the wake of George Floyd getting killed in 2020, like getting killed, being murdered um, in 2020, maybe we should have stood up on that stage and and said Black Lives Matter or said, you know, used something more explicit than, you know, throwing to Brandy and giving Brandy an opportunity to voice with shit. I don't know, right, again, this is, but I think about guys like William D. Campbell he, rural southern, rural southern white guy, could have conversations that other activists couldn't, and so he did. Right. I, again, this is, this is the, maybe the least answers we've had, uh, and I think, <laughs> but, I, but I, you know, I, to me, that's on purpose of this, th- this isn't an easy challenge, in part because MLK is 100% right a hundred percent right and so our question is how do we and there isn't a clear clean answer to this right how do we both stay in the conversation so that people really will know they're loved and listen and change right without being utter cowards which mlk is calling us all out as and is again Correct. Right. (laughs) If you have your own story of this, write us in, write into us, uh, thegoodnessofgodpod at gmail.com. This is really hard because the world is broken and we need to be a voice for what God thinks about that and a voice for how God's people can be better than the, than the ambient world around us. And what the world's notice is so often we're not better than the ambient world around us, sometimes we're worse. And at the same time, we need to be a place that loves everybody, everybody, period, the end. Um, And so anyways, if you have wisdom or call us out for saying one thing and not saying another or not saying something that we should have said, please do. These are, (laughs) this is incredibly difficult to talk about, but also Mm. to me, important. Anyways, the goodness of God pod um, at gmail.com. If you want to more from us, follow us on all the things, Um, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, all servants now on their various ways of doing, or servantsnow.org, um, on our, is our website on the internet. Uh, if you, uh, like what we're doing here, uh, uh please support us. Uh, one of the ways you can do that, uh, is you could, uh, buy me a larger space heater.
1: Um, uh, this is true, uh, but not actually <laughs> what with a thing I, I the need. <laughs>
0: if you want me to look less cold, um, in the future, this is, you know, this is, I, you know, I'm just only turning into tiny Tim in here. Um, <laughs> uh, like comment subscribe all of that actually helps and uh leave us uh, feedback on uh five star reviews on apple podcasts that helps immensely uh the work that we do here is made possible by a generous uh, innovators grant by the text annual conference of the united methodist church uh but we could use su- your support as well um also go in peace to love and serve the lord and we'll see you next time